Good morning, everyone. We're going to pick up where Gonzalo left off on, on the L&D market and the spot market. Um, the spot market is pretty much the you know, leading indicator for, for LNG traders overall. Um, and it's also quite uh, impactful in terms of the share prices of some of these uh, listed names. So, you know, for all that, who's better to have here than Daniel Skule with Davilko L&D? Welcome. Thank you. Um, John, we're now approaching mid-September. Your tri-fuels are earning 60 a day, roughly, in the spot market. Um, it's a bit lower than last year. And then we all know what happened in October of last year. Suddenly, you know, big spike in freight rates, and you're earning 150 a day or even more. Uh, I, I guess it's, you know, somewhat of a curveball for a first question, but, you know, why aren't the, the spot market moving yet, you think? Well, that's a good question. I think, uh, you know, it's... it's uh, Unfortunately, or maybe even fortunately, it's not, uh, it's not like last year's uh, uh, market uh, swings are repeatable the year after. I think when you, when you look at last year and what happened last year, you have to go back even one year further where, where uh, the players were, you know, all the buyers were basically not taking, uh, not taking stocks uh, for the winter as uh, I think everyone was assuming it was going to be a mild winter. We had... Uh, I was actually in Tokyo in, in November 2017, and they had snow for the first time in 54 years, and all the buyers went crazy. So prices basically doubled, uh, rates went up, which was the first improvement we saw in, in freight rates for several years. And uh, so what do you do the next year? Well, you're going to make sure that you didn't do, don't do the same mistake. Uh, you don't want to slow down, or you don't want to get caught out like you did the, the year before. Everybody thinks alike, so everybody takes a lot of uh, cover. And guess what? The weather didn't go cold. So there was too much uh, LNG uh, on stock and on, on ships. So ships got delayed. And um, uh, so freight rates took off simply because 20 ships, 20 additional ships were storing. Uh, so what do we do this year? Well, you're certainly not going to make the same mistake as you did last year. So, you know, uh, there's no question that uh, we will have a winter market this year as well. Uh, I'm not going to tell you what week it happens. Uh, it, it, uh, it could get pushed a little bit slower later than, than certainly last year. Uh, is it going to go as high as last year? Well, uh, on the face of it, last year was, uh, was all-time high, uh, with some, some deals being done over 200,000 a day. Uh, it took 20 ships storing uh, for a few weeks to make that happen. Could that happen again? Most certainly. Uh, will it? Well, I hope so. Yeah. I guess one of the, the other differences this year versus last year is the, is the product prices. You had very high prices in Asia during the winter time. And I guess this year has been kind of a, a massive divergence between oil prices and gas prices. You know, the Henry Hub is at two, and the Far East prices and the European prices are all sub five. Um, how important is the kind of the LNG prices for the, the spot market, you think? Well, LNG gets produced basically no matter what because the cost of production is very low uh, when, when the terminal is there. So I'm not worried about uh, cargoes not being produced or lifted. Uh, although, of course, in theory you can say that well, it could happen, but I, I, I don't see it happening. I think what, uh, in general, after almost 30 years in shipping, uh, I've seen that uh, you know, willingness to pay is certainly higher when, when the demand is there. So, uh, yes, we're, there's a lot of LNG. Uh, but prices are very low. Uh, you know, obviously, uh, reluctance to pay up is, is, is greater when, when prices are, are low. But uh, that having been said, you know, 
ships are going to ask for as much as they can get, mm. um, or owners. And, and, and but, but in general, maybe a little bit easier when demand is, is driving prices rather than supply. Yeah. I guess demand has been you know very strong in, in Europe this year. It's essentially absorbing almost all of the incremental LNG. Um, is it just you know acting as a sink for um, for demand not coming elsewhere? Or is it just you know demand that can be there for it, you know to stay? You think? Well, certainly a lot of. I mean, Europe has has doubled the LNG imports uh, this year, or first half this year. We have um, also at the same time doubled the gas storage levels to a. Uh, last I heard was 94% in total in Europe, which also includes some non-LNG importing uh, nations, uh, which are not as high. So I think LNG accessible storage uh, is probably even higher than 94%. And that happens in August when uh, we should have just depleted uh, last summer's uh, or the summer's uh, uh, cooling demand. Uh, normally, you know, normally the stocks are full before winter. So. I, I, there's a limit to uh, to what Europe can take, and I think uh, on the face of it, I'm no expert on, on gas prices, but I would be surprised if uh, if European gas prices don't go down uh, mm -hmm. before the winter, uh, all else equal. Which means that um, you know we could get uh, we could get an open arbitrage again towards the east, and certainly more U.S. LNG will have to go further uh, or elsewhere, and everything everywhere else is is basically further. So. Uh, yeah, I, 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 you know, there's a limit to how much uh, Europe can take, although there's certainly, with these prices, uh, there's in incentive to, to burn more gas, there's no question. Yeah. I guess finally on the demand side, it's, it's always a bit tricky to have an opinion on, you know, some of the traditional off-takers in, in Asia, Japan, Korea, but there's certainly been a downwards trends on, on kind of import levels. For you, I mean, what's kind of the main factors you would, you know, look at for these countries, either on the upside or downside? <coughs> uh, well, for... For Japan and Korea, I think, uh, first of all, they they haven't been able to to uh, take advantage of the low prices, gas prices, because everything they're importing is on long-term contracts. So demand hasn't actually picked up uh, where it could. And I think uh, going into the winter, they could certainly see see the benefit of these low prices or lower prices. I think um, uh, last year was a bit special in Korea because of nuclear outages, which have reversed to a certain extent this year. Uh, you know. I, uh, it's difficult to guess what happens. We know that uh, from a political point of view, Korea has uh, made, uh, or the Korean government has made uh, public statements where they, they want to change uh, more f you know, more gas, less coal. Um, so that's obviously good. Uh, but uh, I mean, it's, it's almost as if it doesn't really matter what they do because China is driving everything. Chinese imports this year are in percentage terms half of what they were last year. So they're down to 20% but they still imported three million tons more first half this year than they did in 2016. Yeah. And it's almost, um, it's almost difficult to, to, to gather. And kind of on that note, I mean, it's still a bit hard to, you know, if you do the math on liquefaction and you, and you match it with the no amount of deliveries, 2019, 2020, and, you know, probably majority of 2021 should be good years for ship owners. Uh, but we've seen, you know, almost 100 orders since January of 18, and 100 orders was essentially the deficit that we saw, you know, a couple of years ago. So, do you think ship owners have, you know, done it again by by overordering? Yeah. Uh, no. I mean, if you look at uh, if you look at uh, total uh, LNG production, there's 125 million tons under under construction. Uh, that 
should imply about, you know, in historical terms, uh, 160 ships. More than half of the new production is coming from the U.S., which, depending on where it goes, requires anything from 1.2 to 2.4 ships per million tons. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, could it be periods where, where ships are being delivered ahead of uh, new capacity? Certainly. But then, of course, we have 20% of the existing fleet, which is uh, commercially challenged. You know, old uh, steamships, smaller sizes, that uh, from a financial point of view have no way to compete. Um, yeah. So, you know, there are clever people ordering LNG carriers today. Um, uh, of course, uh, I know that uh, some owners with, uh, with uh, a new building fleet are, are, are saying it's time to stop ordering. But, um, no, I'm not worried about the order book as such, no. I guess the other side of the equation, I mean, you mentioned steam turbines. I think there's, you know, 70 or so was built prior to 2000. Mm. They're not as, as efficient as the TFDs and certainly not as efficient as the Megis and XTFs. You know, is there a future for these first, second-gen vessels after, you know, 2020? Well, there's going to be niches where they, they fit the bill, where they, you know, they've been built to serve a project, uh, uh, with a set discharge, and, and some of these will certainly uh, be able to find a, a home. I think where where we you know, there's a uh, as you say there's well there's 75 ships coming off long-term co contracts uh, nine, 19, 20, 21, 22, and um, some of them will obviously be replaced. Uh, the problem is, of course, that these projects are based uh, they're scheduled years in advance with these ships, so. Even if you look at the financial return or economic return, then, then changing from 125 to 175, I mean, it, it makes so much sense, it's ridiculous. But then you basically have to change all the ships and the whole program. So, uh, and that doesn't happen. Yeah. It, it, it's just impossible for the whole chain to change overnight. So I think you'll see a sort of a gradual increase in size and, and, and therefore, uh, you know, some, we'll see some phasing out, but, but Unfortunately, I don't think we'll just wipe them out in one go. Yeah. You, you've been trading spot vessels for, for quite some time now. I think one of the um, the questions they get from a lot of the investors is essentially the difference between the broker rates and, and the realized mm -hmm. rates. And I think, you know, there's a pair of yours who's been doing this for almost 10 years. Um, and the, you know, within that 10 year period, the, the average rate is around 70,000 a day for a tri-fuel. Uh, and their net earnings is around 35. So essentially, they're getting 50% of the headline rates, and I think that number is pretty comparable for, for this year. So, you know, I mean, why is there such a big difference, and, and you know, what's the factors explaining that? Bad broker assistance? No, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I think um, it's, it's very difficult for brokers to assess what earnings are. You 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 assess what you know what the market is and what it pays and. And of course, the higher the market, the more ballast you get comp compensated, and, and the lower the market, the less you get compensated. To a certain extent, you don't even get compensated for ballast when the market is really weak, which means that your earning is, is less than half of, of the headline rate. Um, I, I, I mean, it should be possible to public publicize earnings rather than rates. Yeah. Um, but uh, I guess nobody so far has had the incentive to do so. I mean, it's... 35 for a TFD, or that's a loss making, you know, for an extended period of time. I mean, why are people, you know, e even bothering with this? If that's kind of the outcome. 
Hopefully that will change. You know, is there a growing need for, for spots? Um, why, do, why, why do people play the lottery? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Uh, it's a good question. I think, uh, you know, fundamentally, everything looks extremely good on, on LNG transportation. And, and, and there's so much... Uh, there's so many reasons why uh, it should be uh, the rate should be higher, and then uh, you know there's, there's there's the potential of, of you know fantastic returns for long periods of time uh, when it when it does happen. Uh, but it's uh, yeah, uh, history has proven that it's it's difficult to trade in the spot market. Of course, in the same time, I think it's fair to say that the spot market has been developing as well. I mean, LNG has been a uh, you know if you go back ten years. Uh, Today, the, the, the short-term spot uh, trade is more than double what it was 10 years ago. Yeah. So there is a spot market today, whereas 10 years ago there wasn't really, and you would get uh, extended idle times. Very good. Final question, John. I mean, there's a, a big LNG conference next week in Houston, the gas day. I know you're not going, but you've tended to go in the past. What do you think the, the ship owners and the traders and the cargo owners are talking about this year? Contango, storage. Gas prices, FID on new liquefaction plants. I mean, it's it's a phenomenal you know sign for for us anyway. When when you see this year with all time low uh, gas prices, uh, we've seen 64 million tons of LNG production FID. Uh, you know, there's no there's no dent in in the, the LNG story on the long term. Uh, there's another 800 million tons of, of production capacity under various stages of planning. Uh, which is almost three times last year's uh, total production. So, uh, I, yeah, I think that's, uh, you know, there's still FIDs to be made, and there's, there's uh, but, the, but, but obviously, you know, for how long is the gas price going to stay this long? Yeah. Very good. On that note, John, thank you very much. Likewise.